Amen. Sure appreciate that great message. I was just thinking along the lines of some of that that Brother Luke was preaching on lately about influencing and how much is out there. Praise God, that's encouraging. If you turn in your Bibles to Job, the second chapter, I feel like we're going to get out of Job today. (laughs) You may think I've been stuck in a rut. I've actually had fun uh, studying on this and learning more and more about Job. And today in Job, the second chapter, we're studying on this servant series. We're going down into the ash pile. That's kind of a strange place to go. You know, we often say, well, I've had a bad situation happen, but it's not as bad as so-and-so. You always say, well, it's not as bad. I'm not as bad off as other people. I'm not as bad off as this guy. Well, Job is that guy. Job is the guy that you say, well, I'm not as bad off as Job. Uh, nobody has faced what Job has faced. The only comparable thing that I could think of would be the Lord Jesus Christ that that faced something worse than what Job faced. Nobody's lost 10 children. Nobody's lost a fortune. Nobody's lost their health in the way that Job lost it. So today we go down into the ash pile with Job. We read in Job 2 and verse 7. It says, So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore bulls from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd or a piece of pottery, a broken piece of pottery, to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Very significant place where Job winds up. If you remember, Job's worldview, Job's belief in God, is what formed the basis of his conduct. We spent the whole first message about Job, the servant of God, who is referred to as, the Lord says, my servant. We went through the testimony of Job to find out what Job believed about God and what he believed about man and sin and his own sin and the material world around him. Don't ever forget that your worldview forms the basis for your conduct. See, I want to be a better servant of God. It ties to your worldview. It ties to your worldview. Brother Mike brought a wonderful message about two opposing worldviews uh, Wednesday night. I encourage you to listen to that when it goes up on the podcast. But it, it has everything to do with your worldview. If you, have a, if you have a humanistic worldview that everything originates from man, well, that's going to that's gonna form your conduct. If you have a biblical worldview that man did not originate with himself and that matter is not eternal, but God created matter and God created man, and the answers lie outside of man, that's going to uh, affect your conduct. And it affected Job's conduct. And we see the last couple of weeks, Job's worldview, Job's belief in God and man and sin and his own sin and the world around him led to how he acted before tragedy came when he was the richest man in the world. You know, Job is that, that certain individual who you say, well, you know, if I was in that situation, you know, I would have done it this way. Well, Job was in that situation. And while he had great success and he was a billionaire, he worshiped God in a very specific way. It wasn't just a willy-nilly, I think I'll do it this way. It was very specific, which we'll see today, I trust, that the Lord fully endorsed. So Job worshiped God in the best of times. And then he lost everything. You remember, it wasn't God that took everything from him. It was Satan. God shrunk down or took away the hedge that surrounded Job. 
And Satan attacked and took all those things away, including stirring up a tornado to kill all of his ten children. That was squarely up on the shoulders of Satan and not God. Now, remember this, please, as we look through this. None of these people that we're dealing with at the time that we're talking about where they're interacting knew what had actually happened. You understand? We've got the revealed Word of God and we know after the fact what happened. We know it was Satan. We know that there were these things going on behind the scenes where uh, God confronted Satan and they had this, uh, Satan issued this challenge, actually two challenges, and this is the result of the second challenge. And no, they didn't know that. The friends that come to Job didn't know that. The wife of Job didn't know that. Job didn't know that. Nobody, no servant, nobody knew that. But we know that it was Satan. It's very important. So before Job has tragedy, he worships God. And he makes intercession for his children. When tragedy strikes and he loses all of his possessions, he loses his cattle, he loses his sheep, he loses his oxen, he loses his camel, he loses everything. It says that he worshiped God and he lost his children. It's very significant to note that Job is moved the most whenever he loses his children, not his stuff. (laughs) But when he loses his children, he rises up. He does what he, we read, read there in Job, the first chapter, and he worships God. And he doesn't accuse God of doing this to him. That's the beautiful thing about it. He never charged God foolishly. So you say, well, things just can't get any worse. <laughs> yes, they can. You know, you've heard somebody say, well, you know, they, this happened to them, but they've still got their health. <laughs> That's about to be taken away from Job by Satan. And so we have another situation where... It appears that a worship service took place where Satan came among the worship service. Don't ever think that Satan can't creep in to the worship service of God. God sees where he is. God speaks to Satan and and God says, have you considered my servant Job? You know, you said that he was going to curse me if you took all that stuff away from him. And he didn't curse me. And Satan's always got to come back. Don't ever go toe to toe with Satan. You say, well, I don't see him. Well, you can see the tendencies of Satan. He's always accusatory. He's always argumentative. He's always fussy, fussy. He's always uh, prosecuting or tempting someone. And I'm not saying everybody that you deal with that's like that is Satan himself. But Jesus Christ referred to Peter himself as, get thee behind me, Satan. You know, Peter was bearing the tendencies of Satan whenever he was calling upon Jesus to not do what Jesus came to do. So... Don't go toe-to-toe with Satan-like tendencies. You're not going to win. Even Satan before the Lord said, skin for skin. A lot has been written about that phrase, that proverbial phrase. And I'll just say this. Satan is the original country music songwriter. He's got the hook. He knows what to say. That somebody somewhere, when they found out about that, some wicked person probably wrote a song called Skin for Skin. That's what Satan says. He says, skin for skin, a man will give everything he's got for his life. Satan's so clever. He's, and I'm not saying every songwriter is, is Satan, but I think the first one was. He's got the clever sayings. If you go through the scripture, you'll find over and over and over, Satan's got the clever sayings. He's got the cool sayings. It sounds good to say, skin for skin. That's easy to remember. That's how Satan works. He's got the hook. But his hook is not something that you just like repeating in your head over and over. His hook is more like a hook that will kill you and destroy you. And so the encounter takes place. And God says, okay. <laughs> Satan says, he'll curse you to the face. Take his health away. God says, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to take his health away. He's in your hands. 
You cannot take his life. Don't ever forget that Satan can go no further than where God allows him to go or permits him to go or suffers him to go. Satan could not touch the stuff of Job until God said the hedge is shrunk. Satan could not touch the health of Job until God said the, the, um, the hedge is shrunk down. You can't take his life. And so Satan goes forth and it says that he struck Job with sore boils. Now I want you to think about this. I want to be pretty graphic this morning. From the sole of his foot, you think about the sole of your foot right now, the pad on the bottom of your foot, all the way to the crown of your head, which is the top of your head. From one end of Job to the other, all up and down his body, cover to cover, front to back, skin for skin, he is struck with sore balls. And I read a lot about what spiritual, medical-minded people think about this. I even talked with Brother Neil about it. You know, based on what you read here, you know, what could it be that Job had? Nobody knows for sure, but it was bad. <laughs> you know what a boil is? It's something that festers up and it, and it leaks, uh, you know, fluid. That's really nasty to think about. And you can imagine Job sitting there. He's devastated by the loss of his children. He's lost his stuff, but more importantly, he's lost his children. And all of a sudden he looks down and he's got these boils coming up on him. He's got this sickness coming up on him. You, you want to know where coronavirus comes from? It comes from the, the murderer of men. His name is Satan. He said, I'm not saying Satan was in some kind of laboratory over in China, you know, conjuring up something. But I'm telling you that death comes from Satan. Sickness and everything that comes from the lie of Satan and the murder of Satan, it all comes from him. Everything goes back to Satan when it comes to death and disease and sickness. And whatever Satan did... You could just almost picture the unseen world that was taking place there. Satan comes to Job. And Satan, it says that he smote Job. He hit Job. Now, does it mean that he went up behind him and popped him on the back of the head? I don't know exactly what it means, but it means that Satan went up and put his hands on this man. And when he did, he infected him with a terrible sickness. I tell you, if that's not relevant to the stuff we see out here today... I don't know what it is. Now, that is not to say that every time you see somebody gets the coronavirus or gets some kind of sickness or cancer that Satan's there touching. Satan doesn't have the ability to get around to everybody like that. You know, he's limited. He's not everywhere present and nowhere absent like God. But if you want to know the root cause of death and sickness and disease, it's Satan. And in this circumstance right here, this limited circumstance, this unusual circumstance, Satan goes and he touches Job. He smites him. Sore balls from the sole of his foot unto his crown. I'm sure some of you have had an itch that you needed to scratch from time to time. There is nothing that keeps me awake at night more than having to scratch an itch. Are y'all that way? I mean, it, it might be a mosquito bite. Oh my goodness, years ago, Sister Tracy and I, we went, we just, we went crazy picking blackberries. <laughs> We picked so many blackberries, uh, and by the time we finished picking buckets and buckets of blackberries, the next day we realized we had also picked a bunch of red bugs. And I mean, they covered us from, from the ankle up to the thigh. And it's just, a, I don't, you ever had red bugs? That's worse than a mosquito bite. It's worse. It might be that Satan infected Job with the worst red bugs in the world. And there were places come up on your leg and those little things are alive down in there just eating away at your body. And I, that works on my mind at night when I'm sitting there. Why can't I dig them out? Why can't I get them out? Just scratch, 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 scratch. It'll drive you crazy. I didn't get any sleep for days. 
It was so bad that I bought a $5 remedy online. It was some kind of concoction that Sister Tracy was up at singing school and I was down at the house by myself and we were making it together. I had a regular cup and mixing all this stuff in there. It was formaldehyde and gasoline and I'm telling what else was in there. I don't know that it was gasoline, but it, it felt like it. And so poor old Sister Tracy's up there in her hotel room and, she, and I didn't know she was using a plastic cup. She said, oh my gosh, it's eating through the cup. I said, honey, you need to throw that out. Don't throw it in the toilet. It'd probably destroy the toilet. Itching, 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 itching. I couldn't sleep for days. And it's nothing like what Job was going through. Job says, this, this is Job's description of his sickness. And I'm taking this from his testimony. It was boils, of course. His, his symptoms and his sickness was he had no appetite, itching, weight loss. He was disfigured. He was in despair. He had worms in his skin. Maybe that was red bugs. He had bad breath, hardened skin, oozing skin, breath, uh, loss of breath. He was suicidal. Decaying skin like rotten, uh, like it was rotten skin. He was shriveled up like he'd lost weight. He was weeping. He had discolored eyes, a broken spirit. He was emaciated, piercing, gnawing pain, blackened, cracked skin like leprosy, and fever in his bones. This is horrible. <laughs> Maybe this will put in perspective a little of what we're all dealing with, too, and the fear of something like the coronavirus. It's not to diminish the severity of any type of sickness, but no, nobody's having this. You know, I don't know if it was some form of cancer or what. It's terrible. And it's so bad that he has to, he has to find some relief. Have you ever noticed how, when, you know, I remember when I had red bugs. When I was scratching, it didn't itch. You know what I mean? Like if you just had your hand on it scratching. I can remember laying some towels on my legs and just say, maybe the pressure of that laying on there, you know, will keep it from itching. But it didn't. But, you know, when you're scratching it, right at the moment you're scratching it, it doesn't really, you're like, oh, that feels so good. And then when you quit, you're like, oh my gosh, i got to scratch it again. It's endless. There's Job with these fluid oozing balls all over his body. It's interesting to me that he goes and he sits down in the ash pile. So what in the world is an ash pile? If you, if you live out in the country like we do, we have several ash piles out in the, in the backyard. We have a little burn pit. A uh, little fire pit, you know, we gather around, roast marshmallows or whatever. And then we have another little pile over there that you can't see very good because Sister Tracy said we don't need to be able to see it. We used to have a big metal can, but I couldn't hide it enough. And when it rotted away, I, I just, we just burn it on the ground. So you can't see that near as bad. But Job goes to that ash pile. If you have an ash pile where you burn things, that's not a very useful area of your property, is it? I mean, if you're, you're not going to build an ash pile on your deck, <laughs> You're not going to build an ash pile in your den. You're not going to fix an ash pile in your front yard. You're going to put it back there somewhere where it's unseen. Now, this is totally my conjecture. I always tell you when I'm just kind of thinking beyond what's there. But as I was studying that, I was thinking, I wonder where, I wonder where they dumped the ashes from the altar. Remember we, we talked about how Job worshipped. He brought whole burnt sacrifices to the Lord. Well, there were ashes left over from that. And they didn't have plastic bottles and all of this cardboard and stuff to burn like we do at Christmas, you know. So what, were, what, what was the purpose of this ash pile? I believe, it's my conjecture, I believe that it's where they took the ashes from the sacrifices and dumped them. That's a pitiful sight, isn't it? 
Job goes into that ash pile. He, he, he clears him out of place. And he sits down in the middle of that ash pile. And I'm sure maybe among that ash pile there were some broken pots. Uh, Brother Asher and I just burned some stuff that was, came out of one of the girls' playhouses. And, and unfortunately we burnt some, some uh, glass and some pots and little teacups and stuff. You know, it was among some of the stuff you couldn't see. And it just cracked and burnt from the fire. If you can just picture Job, there's some kind of pot or something there that's burnt from the fire or broken. And he finds him a piece of that and he just starts scraping himself, scratching himself. That's pitiful, isn't it? You've never been to the hospital and seen anybody in this bad of shape. I remember several years ago, some of you may have known Elder Mark Nunnally. He was down in Florida. He was actually a member of McClinney Church for a number of years and served another church somewhere else in South Florida. And Brother Mark worked for years, and he was looking forward to his retirement. He had, a, he had a lot of tragedy in his life, and he couldn't wait to leave retirement. When he retired, first year of his retirement, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And so for the last 18 to 24 months of his life, he spent dealing with that. And one of the treatments that he received was, that's actually what killed him, was one of the treatments. It was so powerful that it literally, it has different react, you know, different people react in different ways to that type of treatment, but he reacted to where it burned his body inside and outside. And he was just a, a complete burned, he was a burn victim as he lay there dying. <laughs> the elder David Crawford, they, they were close friends. And Brother David shared with me that in the last few days of his life that he went to Brother Mark's side, he said he'd never seen anything like that. He said the only thing he could compare it to was probably what Job looked like. And Brother David said he got by Brother Mark, took his hand and said, Brother Mark, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you're having to go through this. It's so, so affecting to all of us that, that you're going through this. And in his pain and in his agony, in his burnt condition, Brother Mark said, Brother David, I don't have scars in my hands. How about that? He said, I don't have scars in my feet. I don't have a riven side. He said, I didn't have to go to the cross and pay for the sins of the people of God. What an attitude. <laughs> Praise God. So none of us have ever seen anything like Job sitting down there in the ash pile, a broken man using a broken piece of a pot in a broken patch of ground, <laughs> weeping. He said, it can't get any worse. Well, yeah, it can. <laughs> he said, well, how far are we going to go down, Brother Tim? We go down from the ash pile to something much greater uh, in just a few minutes. Lord willing. Job has lost his possessions. He's lost his children. He's lost his health. And sadly, you'll read in verse 9 that he's lost his wife. I don't mean that they've divorced. I don't mean that they've parted ways. But in one sense, he has lost her. It says that he took him a potsherd to scrape himself with all. And he sat down among the ashes. And then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Now, if you want to know... What I just told you that there are times when people of God, children of God, bear the tendencies of Satan. This is one of those times. Because Satan said to God, he said, if you take away his health, if you take away his possessions, everything he's got, he'll curse you. And he didn't do it. And he, then Satan said, if you take away his health, he'll curse you. And he didn't do it. Now his wife comes along and says, just curse God and die. <laughs> That's what it looks like. 
That's the language of Satan. You remember one of my favorite movies is uh, The Lord of the Rings. And they had this particular language of Mordor, which Mordor was the place of evil. And there was this particular type of speech that nobody could bear to hear whenever it was spoken. And old Gandalf spoke it a time or two. I know y'all are dying to go home and watch it and just to remember that part. But it, it's, this is the speech of Mordor. You hear me? This is the speech of Satan. This is the speech of the enemy. And it's coming from his wife. It, Listen, this is not just picking on the females or picking on a, a man. A husband can say the same thing. The husband can do the same thing. It's not just picking on the females, but this is coming from his wife. She's not on the same page as he is. She is she's disgusted and she's lost her children. You see, they're her children, too. She says, curse God and die. Your life's not worth I don't want to deal with this. I, look at you. You're pitiful. You're a mess. I don't want to have to deal with taking care of this. <laughs> And probably furthermore, she's thinking, I'm not getting down there in that ash pile with him. <laughs> now notice Job. Even in the midst of all this pain and suffering, Job still has some sanity. Because he doesn't say what most of us would say. Shut up, woman. <laughs> not Job. He's still kind. He's still meek. He's still loving. Look at what he says. He didn't say, you're a foolish woman. Did he? He says, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaking. Y'all notice the clever way in which he responded there. He didn't say, you're a crazy woman. You're a foolish woman. You're just a fool. No, he said, honey, you're speaking like some of those crazy women over there. <laughs> Isn't that great? Down in the ash pile, he's even thinking about his dear wife. He says, what? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? Now, don't, be, don't misunderstand that right there. And that's not a real difficult needle to thread. It's not difficult at all. Because the word evil does not always mean sin. It means trouble. You'll find that again. That the Lord creates trouble at times. And in the Old Testament, it's referred to sometimes as evil. It doesn't mean sin. Because for God to create sin and do sin would be against His holy nature. God cannot do that. Because it's against his nature. There's seven things in the scripture that God cannot do. One of those is lie. Another is to cause sin. God cannot do that. It's not in his nature. So Job is not saying, well, God sent all this trouble to us. No, Job is explaining to his mis misunderstanding wife, saying to her, don't you know that in this lifetime that we're not guaranteed blessings? We're not guaranteed success. As a matter of fact, the, the, the path of the child of God is rarely with great success. It's usually with trouble and sorrow and anguish and, and trials and to be very poor in this life. The poor of the earth. In the 17 or 1600s, when the Queen of England, I can't remember exactly which one it was, but she was quoted as saying in 1 Corinthians where it says there's not many noble, not many righteous she said, thank God it doesn't say not any. Because the children of God have been characterized by their low estate in this life. Job says, don't you understand? God's not doing this to us. God's not tweaking this to us. God's our only sustaining grace through all of this. We get trouble in life. We have blessings in life. God's with us, whatever the case may be. That's a good principle to remember. He says, shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord? And shall we not receive evil, trouble? In all this did Job sin not with his lips down in the ash pile. <laughs> he said, well, things couldn't get any worse than this. Well, here comes Job's friends. And there's nothing like having friends. And these, these are good, godly, children of God, men. But they are very misled in their understanding of what has happened. 
They believe with all of their heart that Job has committed some sin to bring all this upon himself. And for the next uh, 20 plus chapters, you have them going back and forth. Now, it says they sat there for seven days. You've got to be a good friend to sit there for seven days with someone and not speak. And then they messed up by speaking. They should have just kept quiet and went home. We'll pray for you, buddy. We'll go home. <laughs> it says they sat down with him, verse 13, upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. And after those seven days, you know, this has probably been going on for months because it took the friends some time to get there from far away. It took them time to hear about what had happened. Then it took them time to get there. So we're talking about months that Job is going through this terrible situation that he's going through. So the friends come and for seven days they sit there. And after this, Job opened his mouth, chapter 3, and Job cursed his day. I want you to know Job's anguish and Job's pain. Job cursed his day. What that means is, he is Job is saying, I wish I had never been born. That's what Job is saying. You ever got that way? <laughs> I mean, what's the purpose of my life? Uh, like the message we heard this morning, you know, I, I just don't feel like I'm an influencer. I can't influence it. What's the purpose of my life? I just should have never been born. Any child of God can get in that mindset. Job was in that mindset in this great anguish that he was dealing with. And over the next several chapters, several hours, I've often wanted to sit down with one, two, three, four, five people and read out these parts and see how long it takes. Just read them at a regular, normal pace and just see how long this went on. It had to be for hours that they bantered back and forth. And so each one of the friends begin to speak and Job responds to each one of the friends every time. And I'm just going to give you a little flavor of what they said. You can read it for yourself. But the first friend, after Job speaks and curses his day, said, I wish I'd never been born. The first friend speaks and says, this is God correcting you for some sin. The next friend speaks and says, this is real comforting. He said, God took your kids from you because of some sin you committed. That's comforting, isn't it? <laughs> the next friend says, Job, you're just babbling and you're lying. It's not getting any better, is it? The next friend, it's the next friend's turn, and he says, you're not praying hard enough, Job. <laughs> That's when Job, by the way, says, you are miserable comforters. I would think that somebody that came to me and was trying to comfort me and told me that God's correcting me for some sin that I had no idea about. Remember, they don't know what happened. And God has taken my kids away from me because of some sin you committed. And you're just a babbling, lying fool and you're not praying hard enough. I think I would look at him and say, y'all guys are miserable comforters. <laughs> and then the next response, as they continue to escalate in their anger towards one another, one of the friends says, are we just dumb beasts? Are we dumb animals and you won't listen to us? Then the next friend says that Job is wicked. And Job just looks at him and he says, mock on, mock on. You're mocking me. Then finally, the last friend or, or the next to the last one says, Job, you got too high of opinion of yourself because Job is telling them how he's lived his life. And Job was probably crossing over the line of, of being a little braggadocious, a little bragging. He says, you got too high opinion of yourself. And that's when Job says, my stroke is heavier than my groaning. In other words, I can't groan enough or express to you enough my grief. Even my groanings don't express my grief. And that's when Job requests an audience with God. I'm not getting anywhere with my friends. They won't listen to me and they're angry. So I request an audience with God. And the last friend says, how can man be just with God? They've been saying that the whole time, but that's the last statement from the last friend. And then for a few chapters, the fourth young man there begins to speak. And that fourth young man begins to bring out some really good things. He, he says some truths about God. And then, guess what? God shows up. 
As a matter of fact, the young man, that, the last one that speaks, who was the fourth man that came, you know, there were four, not just three, but the fourth one, the young man speaks, and he says, let me represent God in this matter, and let me speak as, of, as God would speak. <laughs> and then God shows up and speaks for himself. Now, remember where we started? We're down in that little burn pile, that ash pile, and he's scraping himself and all the pain that he's in and the itching that's going on. And the, and I believe that Job had a fatal disease. I really believe that. It was fatal. And the only thing keeping him alive was God himself. God was, you know, Job even said, by the skin of my teeth have I escaped. Are you got any skin on your teeth? Brother Luke, I don't, I don't know if that's skin or not. I think the skin's above the teeth. Job is saying, I am barely here, barely alive by the skin of my teeth. And Job says, if God was here, I'd argue my case before God. You better be careful what you wish for. <laughs> because God shows up. If you want to turn over to the end of the chapter as we uh, wind up our thoughts this morning. Uh, end of the book. Job, the 38th chapter. Can y'all picture the scene that's there? These three friends are sitting there arguing back and forth with Job. And Job's upset. And he's calling them miserable comforters. And then Elihu, the young friend, begins to speak and talks some truth about God. He says, I'll represent God. And they're all sitting there. And then off in the distance, there comes this wind. There comes this little, little speck. And it's a tornado. And it's getting closer. It's a whirlwind. And closer and closer. I told y'all several years ago, my Brother Asher and I, were, uh, we were fluffing hay, raking hay down on uh, some property that we owned. And, and a little, a little uh, dust devil came from one side and we just sat there watching that's amazing amazing look at that thing throwing up that hay 30 feet in the air and then when it came right over us we got a little unnerved you know it blew that hay all over us i was like well that was weird but i was thinking about job you know they're sitting there and all of a sudden they're talking and there's a pause and they look and there's a tornado coming off in the distance and that tornado is god and a tornado is loud i don't know if you've ever been seen a tornado i've seen i've been around two it's loud Sounds like a train coming through. Here comes the train. This God in the tornado. And God shows up and He says basically to Job, Who are you to question me? You hear me? Who are you to question me? Job, what qualifies you to be able to question God? I tell you, that's a great thing for us all to believe. Who are we to question God? God's perfect. He's not going to ever do anything that's contrary to His nature. He's not going to do anything wrong. He's always going to do what's in, 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 in line with His nature. Why should we question God? And if, you, if your worldview is that you believe the God of creation and you believe in the God of the Bible and the God that saves His people from their sins, there's no reason to question Him. And Job has started questioning God. If he was just here, I would argue my case. And God says, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Isn't that great? God puts it in perspective. He says, Were you there? Did you counsel me when I laid the foundations of the world? And for the next couple chapters, he's just wearing Job. He's taking him to the woodshed, as we say. Now, some of you young guys don't know what that means. And shame on you parents. Explain to them what taking them to the, Job is being taken to the woodshed. God's saying, who are you to question me? And then God takes a pause, just a little breath in chapter 40. And Job says, behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I lay my hand upon my mouth. I've spoken once, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, and I will proceed no further. And then the Lord lays back into him again. The Lord basically refers to all the things that he has created in those first two or three chapters. And then in the last two chapters where God speaks, he refers to a couple of the great creatures that he's created. Which I believe is clear from the scripture that they were dinosaurs. 
You can read that for yourself. And so after God wears out Job, after he thunders, I imagine that Job is probably at least standing up in the ash pile by now, you know, to show respect to God. And Job answers God in 42. Can you believe that Job even had a voice at this point? But God allows Job to answer him, and this is what Job says. And by the way, remember this. God never answers the question that Job asked. God never says, hey, Job, it wasn't me. It was Satan. God says, why should I even have to answer that if you understand my character and how good and how loving I am? Job never answers the question that God asked. You know why? Because encountering God and seeing God, who He is and what He is and what His character is like is enough of an answer. If you see the goodness of God and you see the wildness of God and you see that He's not in your box and He's not in my box and He's not in some denominational box, He's not in some kind of of, of worldly view box, He is God and He is the wild center of the universe. And whatever He does, He does it right. And however He does it, He cannot be questioned because He's always going to do it right. See, we don't have that ability, do we? So Job says, I know that you can do everything and that no thought can be withholding from you. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. That was pretty bold, wasn't it? I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. And this man who was referred to as the servant of God, God said, he's my servant. He said, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Standing in the ash pile. You want to know what it means to be a servant of God? When you see the character of God, when you see who God is, when that understanding comes to you, you should abhor yourself. This man was the greatest of all men on the face of the earth at the time. At one point, he was the richest. But by far, he was the most godly man on the face of the earth. And when he was confronted with God, when he saw the Lord, he looked upon himself and he said, I abhor myself. And I repent. If that good man who was considered by God to be the servant of God repented in such a way and he had all those good works laid out before him in his past, what about us? Isn't that how we should view God? Shouldn't we abhor ourselves and repent in dust and ashes? And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord turns to Eliphaz and the the Timonite and the two friends that had been arguing with Job all that time. Can you see those guys over there? And they just go, oh. The Lord looks at them and he says, I'm mad at you. I'm angry at you. I don't like what you said. You misrepresented me to Job. You didn't understand what was going on. It was Satan behind all of this. You see, he says, I'm angry with you. And if you don't do what I'm fixing to tell you to do, I'm going to destroy you. You say, well, that seems kind of harsh. Well, you just have to take that up with God. He's always right. He's never wrong. See, it was right for God to say my wrath is kindled against your two friends. What you say, why? For ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job hath. He's back to it, isn't he? Satan came and said, I've been going around the world doing whatever I want to do. God said, have you considered my servant Job? God said that again to Satan. And here in the presence of these men, whoa, what a vindication for Job, huh? What a vindication. God says, my servant Job. He says, therefore, take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams. Listen to the specificity. Listen to how God describes how he wants his worship to take place. And also listen to how it is an endorsement of what Job was doing when he was making intercession for his kids in worship. You remember? God says, take seven bullocks, take seven rams, go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. Isn't that what Job was doing for his kids? Isn't that how Job was worshiping? 
worshiping already in times of prosperity. He says, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, in that you have not spoken of me the thing which is right. God said twice to those men, you have not spoken of me the thing that is right. I tell you, brothers and sisters, if we want to be focused on being the servants of God, we ought to be concerned about speaking the thing which is right of God. You see? We ought to be cautious about what we say about God and the things that we lay at God's feet and the things that we say, well, God has done this. As a matter of fact, the three friends, as they were going back and forth and arguing about what had happened, they were totally confused about the situation and they were trying to figure out God by looking at the situation. And God said, you have not done the thing that is right. I tell you, brothers and sisters, that it's not to look at the situations that you come across because you can strain your eyes and hurt yourself and hurt your emotions trying to figure out, well, what is God doing here? How is he working here? How can I see this? That's what they were doing. And God said they didn't speak of him the thing that was right. You see? So what do we do? We do what Job did. And recognize that just God is enough. (laughs) Trusting in his character. Trusting that he will never do wrong. We don't have to know all the details of all the circumstances. We never will. Leave that in the hands of God. And know that God will never contradict his good character. Job said, Behold, I am vile. Job said, I abhor myself. Job took seven bullocks. The, the men took seven bullocks and seven rams and they offered. And the servant of God, Job, prayed for them and they were spared. We started out with worship. The servant of God was worshiping God in great prosperous times. We saw that how in the treacherous and dangerous and tragic times, the servant of God was worshiping God. We see when he was in the ash pile, when he was so, his health was so destroyed He's still calling upon God. And then we see when he had the most unique encounter that anybody at the time had ever had, God appeared. What did he do? The servant of God worshiped God. You see, coming face to face with God, it changed Job's life. God, Job already knew God. He knew Him in a great way, but he learned even more. That's what happens when you make your goal focus in your life being a servant of God at all costs and Job was saying let me die let me die let me die you know how many more years Job lived after this event 140 years and he had 10 more children and he had three daughters and seven sons just like before and it says that they had children and their children had children and Job was able to see those grandchildren and those great-grandchildren for many generations and it says in the last verse of the of the book of Job it says so Job died being old and full of days <laughs> listen how many times through that 140 years Job looked down at his hands Pulled up his sleeve and looked at those scars from the sickness that he had that Satan gave him. Now, if he, if he was like me, he was like a lot of us, we'd go, oh, woe is me, that hurt so bad. I look back at those red bug scars and I think, oh, those red bug scars. <laughs> Not Job. Job looked at those scars and he remembered that time. And he says, I saw God. I saw God. He wasn't having a pity party. He wasn't saying, woe is me. And I'm not sitting here saying, well, he wished it would happen again. He, no, that would be insane to wish that would happen again. But he could say this for sure. I saw God in the midst of the worst moments of my life. That's indicative of a servant of God. May the Lord bless us to look at the example of Job and strive for those type of characteristics so that we can be better servants of God.